Many of us sat around a Thanksgiving table on Thursday and we, uh, we ate a meal together with our family and we got to appreciate the fact that we were still together as a family to love on one another. And, and you all realize, don't you, that now that Thanksgiving has come and gone, it is official. We are now on the clock. The countdown to Christmas has begun. My children will let you know that it's December. So we are there now. We are counting down the days. And um, I love Christmas. It's a time of hope and happiness. It's a time of peace and goodwill to all men. And as you can see from this video, the Christmas spirit has already begun. Check this out. Just, it's just, it's, you can just feel it, can't you? That peace and goodwill just oozing from those people as they were hitting each other with DVD boxes. It was, it was a Merry Christmas to you, that's mine. Get your hands off. And uh, to be honest, it's kind of sad, isn't it? If, you, if you're like me, you've watched these news reports and looked at these pictures and you thought, how is it that we were sat together as a family, thankful for what we had And within 12 hours, we were smacking each other and tasering each other because we didn't have enough. And now we're out, you know, tugging on towels because they're $2 less than they would normally be. And apparently that was Walmart's big seller this year. Millions of towels, you know, they sold. So, And the truth is, that's not what Christmas is about, is it? It's not about the stuff and the buying the stuff. And don't get me wrong, please buy your kids presents, enjoy your time as a family. It's a great time. But when I see those pictures and I see those videos, I think, you know what? As a church, I want to spend the next few weeks really dialing back in to what Christmas is really all about. And, you know, I enjoyed so much teaching that series on the Lord's Prayer. And at some point in the near future, we will get the last week. I know some of you are dying to know because your, your life is incomplete. You're like, I don't know how to end the prayer. I'm like three quarters of the way through and I don't know what the last bit means. So we will get there. We'll, uh, we, we will have that last one. In fact, we'll have that last one and a half because I really did have some good stories to tell in the last half of my sermon two weeks ago. And you are going to hear them. So, um... But I enjoyed going through the Lord's Prayer because it was one of those prayers that we pray a lot together and we know the words of it, but we've never really thought about the words we're saying. You know, sometimes as we say them by memory, it's more of wah, 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 wah. We're not really fully aware of what we're saying. So over the next four weeks leading up to Christmas, each Sunday, we're going to do the same, but this time with some Christmas carols. Maybe some songs that you've sung since being a little kid. And every time that song comes on, it brings back memories of, of maybe where you sang it or a particular Christmas that just was one of your favorite Christmases. But some of these carols, we sing the words of them and we know the words of them. But have we ever really spent time looking deeply at what those words are about? Because we're going to unpack here over the next four weeks the real, true spirit and meaning of Christmas. And we're going to do that by looking at some different Christmas carols. So this morning we're actually going to start with one that I particularly like. It's called O Holy Night. So let me give you some context to the history of this song, because this song really does have history. We're all very familiar with the song. We're actually going to hear it here shortly if you're not familiar with it. But it was actually written in the mid-1800s. So, you know, almost 200 years we've been singing this song. Now, the interesting thing about this song, as I was preparing for this message, is I discovered that it was a parish priest who went to a guy in town. He was a French merchant, and he was a poet. Everyone knew him as being a great poet. His name was Placide Capot. 
That's the way you pronounce it if you're French. Capot. Placide Capot. And this priest, he asked Placide, he said, would you write a poem to the, the story, the Christmas story that you can find in Luke chapter 2? Now, the interesting thing is that Placide himself, he wasn't a Christian. He, he didn't follow Christ. In fact, quite, quite the opposite. He was known in that area as being quite the hellraiser. He was very far from God. He didn't go to church at all. But he was a, he was a good poet. So Placide, he wrote this poem, O Holy Night. And he actually liked it so much that he asked his friend, who also was not a Christ follower, he asked his friend if he could put this poem to music. And this song became so popular, this song, O Holy Night, that it ran throughout the Catholic Church almost 200 years ago. Until someone did a bit of digging and discovered who wrote the words and who wrote the music and realized they had no relationship with Jesus whatsoever and tried desperately to put a song to this, a stop to this song that they were singing. But by now, it had caught on so well that people just sang it every Christmas time. You know, another interesting fact I found out about this carol um, in preparing for this message is that about five decades later in 1906, a guy by the name of Reginald Fessenden, he was a 33-year-old Canadian professor, and he did what many people thought was impossible. In his own garage, he made a generator. He, he had a generator. He plugged in a microphone, and he was the very first person to actually broadcast an AM broadcast in the history of the world. He did it on Christmas Eve in 1906. And appropriately, as the very first person to, whose voices were to carry across the airwaves like that, he chose on that Christmas Eve to read Luke chapter 2, verse 1, into the microphone. So he started out with, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And he read the Christmas story. Then immediately following that, he took his violin and he played into the microphone what would be the first live song ever broadcast across airways in the history of the world. And it was this song, Oh Holy Night. And if you're not familiar with the song, we're going to watch a video right now so that you can uh, uh, remember the words and remember this particular song. So check out this rendition of Oh Holy Night.
That's good, isn't it? Good song. You know, I've got to be honest, maybe you're like me, you're one of those people that as soon as they start playing Christmas music, you're like, oh, I can't believe they're already playing Christmas music, it's so early, but, but then once it gets going, I love Christmas music, I love hearing Christmas music playing, I love the songs, love the carols, and um, we'll, I'll post a link to that on our uh, Facebook page, the Connect Church Facebook page late this afternoon, because I've been singing that all week, uh, because I've been working on this message, I can't get that song out of my head, so now I've put it in your heads, I will uh, bless you by uh, giving you a way to, to sing it along again as the week goes on. But um, I love that video. I love the, um, the play there, the little nativity play. Do you know, when I was a, a little, little kid, little guy, growing up in England, in my grade school, in our primary school, as we called them, we, we had nativity plays every year. So all the kids in the school, you know, we would all dress up and we'd all play the parts of different characters and our parents would come in and we'd, we'd do a nativity play. And as I was watching the video, I was thinking back, I was like, you know, I hadn't thought about that for a long time. I mean, I was probably eight years old, so it was, you know, just a little over 20 years ago now. So, um, so uh, I was thinking, you know, which, which one was I? I? I remember being in the play, and I'm trying to think. I'm like, you know, was I Joseph? I don't think I was Joseph. No, I don't think I was a wise man. I, you know, I don't even remember being a shepherd. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought. And then I remembered, you know, I do remember my role in the play. I remember the week leading up to the play having these two yogurts these old yogurt cartons and my job was to cut you know shiny paper and stick it onto the yogurt cartons to make them look really festive and pretty so that during the play when the donkey arrived to bring in Jesus guess who was in charge of donkey sound effects clip clop clip that was me with the yogurt pots I could have been anything and I'm I'm the sound effects for a donkey well look at me now Mrs. Bignall I'm up here and I'm so but I'm okay, I've, I've got over that. But I loved acting out those nativity plays, and maybe you've got one of those manger scenes that you, uh, you've kind of kept in the closet all year long, and you bring it out, and you set it up, and you tell the kids they're not allowed to touch with it or play with it, and there's no action figures to be mixed in with the, uh, with the nativity figures, and there it sits. And whether it's a nativity play or a manger scene, don't they all give that wonderful uh, picture of that holy night just serene and beautiful and just the idea that, man, this was such a great night. In fact, the words of the song, I'm going to read them to you now. It says, Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and and, and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, the night when Christ was born. And the words of that song, O night divine, the pictures we see in our manger scenes, we think of this beautiful divine night. But I wonder this morning just how holy of a night it really was for Mary and Joseph. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. Mary, we know she was a pregnant, unwed teenager. She'd traveled somewhere between 80 to 120 miles on the back of a donkey. That's like coming here this morning from Joliet, Illinois, nine months pregnant, on the back of a donkey. They arrived in town and there was no place to stay. No inns had any room available. So they actually ended up in what most biblical scholars believe was more of a cave than a stable. It would have been a place where animals would go to get shelter in rough weather. 
So she's giving birth in the worst environment possible. We're talking about unsterile, no epidural. If you can imagine this, this teenage girl, it's, it's a very different picture in reality than that, that pretty manger scene that we see. I know this because Katie and I, we, we've had three children. I can remember Ben, our first son, when he was born. It was 13 years ago, but I still remember it really clearly. I remember she'd been in labor most of the day and that evening, and then um, contractions had started. So about two in the morning, she's like, okay, Dave, it's time. We've got to get to the hospital. We were heading to Pekin Hospital at that time. So um, I had a geoprism. It was just one step above a donkey. It really wasn't much better, but it was a little bit better than a donkey. So we, we jumped in the prism and off we shot at two in the morning towards Peking Hospital. I remember getting about halfway there and it was dark. It was nighttime. There was no one on the streets and we arrived at these lights. And you need to understand before I tell you what I did uh, that I have a lady sat next to me. So, you get to the hospital quick. You know, she's screaming. She's, she's breathing hard. So the lights are red. There's no one around. I'm like, you know what? I'm not waiting for these lights to turn green. I looked, I was very careful, I pulled straight through. Yeah. Look in my rearview mirror and parked behind a restaurant, probably just having a little bit of a break for the evening. There wasn't much action going on. A police car. Pulls out behind me, he's like, wow, something to do. Flashes the lights, Casey's like, you are joking, you are joking. I was like, it's all right, it's all right. I'll, she's like, just tell him I'm having a baby. I was like, okay, okay. So we pull over by the side of the road, and um, he pulls up. You know how they sit in the car for ages, and then finally he gets out of the car, and he comes up, and he knocks on the window. I wind the window down. He's like, can I see your license and insurance, please? And I said, sure. And I lean over to the glove box to get it, and Casey's in the, in the passenger. She goes, just tell him I'm having a baby. <laughs> That was the voice that she used. So the cop, he kind of looks down, he sees, he's like, oh. And I mean, obviously, this is for real, you know, she's very heavily pregnant. She's, you know, breathing hard. And he's like, okay, um, okay, well, all right, well, you can go on your way, he said. I won't give you a ticket, but just be careful, okay? Just drive carefully. I was like, okay, thanks. So it worked. It was great. So we... Um, off we went to the hospital, um, she got into the ward, and then through the night she was still in labor. It was a real rough night, long night, still no baby, got to the morning. Now like 7 or 8 in the morning, and I'm, I'm exhausted. I mean, I'm tired. No, seriously, I mean, I hadn't slept much. I mean, I'm, I maybe got four or five hours, but really not a lot. <laughs> I, didn't, I don't think I slept at all. I'm hungry, I'm tired. So, you know, there's a point where the nurse came in showing Casey stuff. I'm going to pop out and just update the family, let us know what's going on. And they bought donuts. Now, if you were here two weeks ago when we were talking about temptation, you'll know. Donuts, yeah. So I thought, I'd, I'd probably just sneak a couple in there. I need to keep my strength up here. I've got to be there for my wife. So uh, stuck a couple of donuts in, back in the room. You know, she's still there. The, the contractions are still coming. And being a great husband, I'd been, you know, to the classes. So I knew, you know, the breathing exercise. You're like, come on, honey. You know, breathe like this. So, so I had her hands and holding my hands. And I'm in her face. I'm like, come on, Case. Just... And just in the middle of it, she just grabs me. She's like, get your stinking donut face out of, breath, out of my face. <laughs> we, <laughs> as I was telling that story to her last night to make sure I was telling it correctly, Ben, who was the cause of all this pain, uh, was chuckling, <laughs> aware of the story. And he's like, did that really happen? She's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that donut breath was <laughs> disgusting. So... Suffice to say, she's not a big fan of donuts anymore. And, uh, but she made it through the day, and then after a very long labor, we had this beautiful baby boy, Ben. But I know, and this is 2,000 years later, just how tough that was. 
And this is with medicine and doctors and nurses. And, and let's be honest, when we're looking at Mary here in that cave, yes, it was a holy night, but this was a very real experience for this young lady. It was chaos. They were screaming. It was panic as Mary gave birth to the Son of God. Now, in this song, Oh Holy Night, there's one phrase that I just want to zero in on here this morning. And that's what we're going to do each week in this series. We're going to, we're going to look at these carols, but we're going to just focus in on maybe one line or one phrase. And, and my prayer is that as we talk about it and as we kind of unpack it a little bit, what it really means, that when you sing this song from now on, you'll never think of these words the same. You won't just read over these words without thinking about it. It'll bring you back to this morning. And you'll think, wow, yeah, that's what that song means. And it's a couple of lines right in the middle. It says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. And then it goes on to say that for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And I've got to be honest, I, as a pastor this week, I struggled a little bit. Because we've, we've planned for weeks now that this was going to be a series um, at Christmas. Even before the tornado came, we knew that this is what we were going to teach on during the Christmas weeks. And I had a hard time this week thinking, but God, is it right to shift now to talk about Christmas when there are still people who have no homes and still people who are recovering from this, this awful tragedy we went through two weeks ago? But I really felt God say, no, you need to, to move on, bring some, some normality, give people a place to come. And, and as I started to prepare this message, it was so clear that God, said, that God was showing me, you know, this message about a Christmas carol is going to be more impactful to those families today than it ever would have been before the events of two weeks ago. Because could there ever be a more appropriate phrase to describe the feeling in this community than a weary world? I drive through the subdivisions and now that all the big trucks are gone and the people are moving out, I'll, I'll see people just stood on a slab stone that was once their home. I'll hear of people who have called con contractors and adjusters and they're figuring out which, where the debris goes. And once the debris goes, which pile is which of the debris? And do I put metal here or trees here? And um, the initial shock is starting to wear off. The adrenaline has passed and I'm just sensing that people are now just weary. And not just here in Washington, but in the world we live. We still live in uncertain economic times. And the world in general just seems to be weary but what I love about this song, this carol that we sing every Christmas, is it says there's a thrill of hope. In the chaos of this holy night, hope was coming. Hope was coming into the world. For hundreds of years, the Jewish people, they'd been putting their hope in this promise that a Messiah was coming. And that night, the weary world did what? The weary world rejoiced. And I pray that whatever weary world you find yourself in this morning, that a thrill of hope will help you find the faith to rejoice. Because even in the chaos of this night that you may find yourself in, there is a new and glorious morn. And every time as you move forward, I want you not just to think about that holy, time, that holy night. I want you to think about what happened the next day when the sun came up and the Savior had been born. And on that new and glorious morn, everything was different because Jesus Christ came into the world and he really can change everything. So to look at this phrase just a little bit more here um, for the next few minutes, I want to go back 500 years before Jesus was even born. 
We're actually going to go right the way back to um, a period of time, 500 years before the birth of Jesus. Uh, It was actually nearly 600 years. It was 586 BC that this particular book in the Bible was written. Jerusalem at the time had actually just fallen to its enemies. Jerusalem was a great and mighty empire. I mean, it would be comparable to the United States or a a country like that in our modern world. So for them to fall to their enemies was was devastating. And they were living in this world now of being um, imprisoned and in slavery. And there was a, a prophet. His name was Jeremiah. He loved God with all of his heart. And he's writing about this experience. He's writing about the, um, the place that Jerusalem now found itself in. He's actually lamenting in this book. And ironically, this particular book of the Bible is called Lamentations. That's what he's doing. He's lamenting. He's, he's whining, basically. There's a book of the Bible called The Whinings. That's what it is. It's Jeremiah just saying, God, come on, what's going on? He was hurting like everyone else in Jerusalem. And he was pouring out of his, his hurts just these words that are saying, God, this is how I feel. And if you read chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Lamentations, you'll hear just the, the hurt and the brokenness. And I tell you, if you're having a rough week, read that first three chapters. It'll kind of put some perspective there. It'll show you what he was going through, what Jeremiah was going through. In verses 19 and 20 of chapter 3, he says this. He's kind of still going through this, this lamenting, this whining, this, this sadness. He says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. This prophet, this God-fearing man is saying, God, I'm not going to pretend this hasn't happened. I'm sad. This is a broken time for us as Jews, and and this is how this has affected me. It's really, it's hurt me and my fellow people. But then, and this is what amazes me, there's a switch takes place right in the middle of Lamentations chapter 3. And this prophet, he, he calls to mind what he knows to be true about God. And listen to what he says here in verse 21 onwards. He says, yet this... I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. It's amazing what a new day with Christ can bring. And I want to show you, just looking at three different truths this morning, what a thrill of hope can bring into a weary world of darkness. The first idea I I came up with based on this particular passage is that a new day with Christ brings exactly what you need. A new day with Christ will bring exactly what you need. Now, hear me carefully, because I didn't say exactly what you want but exactly what you need. Because sometimes, as we talked about a few weeks ago, they can be different. In fact, Jeremiah knows this. And in chapter 3, verse 24, he says, I say to myself, and I love this. Some of us sometimes need to say to ourselves. We need to, to, to become preachers here and do a little preaching to ourselves. Jeremiah said, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will do what? I will wait for him. What he means here when he says the Lord is my portion is, um, I believe, he's, he's looking back here at the, um, the history of the Jews when they came uh, through the desert. And you can read about this in, in Exodus. And he says that as God led the Israelites through the desert, he provided for them every day. 
In fact, we talked about that a few weeks ago when we were talking through the Lord's Prayer on the give us this day our daily bread. Every day, God provided for the Israelites just enough to make it through that day. In fact, the food would spoil at the end of the day. They couldn't keep it. Then the next morning, they'd wake up and there'd be more food there for them. And I think that's what Jeremiah is talking about here. He's saying, the Lord will give me my portion. The Lord will give me just enough. Jesus will give me just enough. And that's the great news for all of us here this morning. And I want you to get this, that God is already in tomorrow. He already has everything you need for tomorrow, whatever it brings. He is already there, ready to provide. So as well as bringing you exactly what you need, I think that a new day with Christ brings us the hope to keep going. A new day with Christ gives us the hope to keep going. It's the thrill of hope in this weary world. It's the thrill of hope and faith when all we see is darkness. It's the belief that there's a new morning coming in the middle of the chaos of the night. In verse 25, Jeremiah in Lamentation says, The Lord is good to those who, whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. You know, I heard someone say once that they felt it was interesting that as people we can live for 40 days or so without food. We can live for many days without water. We can even live for many minutes without oxygen. But this person said we can only live for a few seconds without hope. And I believe that to be true. I read about two different prisoners of war in the Vietnam War. One was in a um, a POW camp. And he was a tough young Marine. He was 24 years old. And the commander at this camp said, if you live right and if you behave yourself and you do what we tell you, then we'll let you go. So he did everything right. For two years, he stayed in this camp and he did everything he did. And they kept saying, keep this up and we'll let you go. Keep this up and we'll let you go. Keep this up and we'll let you go. One day he realized in looking around, they'd never let anyone go. And his story goes that he came into the full realization that they were never going to let him go. And at that moment, he lost hope. He refused to do all work. He rejected all offers of food and encouragement. He simply laid curled curled up on his cot. And in a matter of weeks, he was dead. He had lost all hope. But as I was studying, I came across another guy, another prisoner of war, in a prisoner of war camp in Vietnam. Similar story. This guy, his name was Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was captured during the Vietnam Vietnam War and he's one of the highest ranking United States military officers in the Hanoi Hilton prisoner of war camp. He was tortured regularly and beaten through his eight year imprisonment between years 1965 and 1973. But he survived and he made it out and he again got to see his family despite going through unbearable situations. At one point, he actually beat himself with a stool and cut himself with a razor, deliberately disfiguring himself. So he could not be put on videotape as an example of a well-treated prisoner. All this he went through, but he came through. And he was asked by this gentleman who wrote this book about his life. They said, how did you get through that? How could you deal with the uncertainty of your fate, the brutality of your captors? And this is what he said. I, I never lost faith in the end of the story. I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the most defining event of my life, which, in retrospect, I would not trade. The difference between those two guys' stories is one held on to hope. And that's what I think the author of this song is saying, you know, that in this weary world, this hope 
is rising. And we have this hope that we can hold on to. There's a verse in Hebrews that says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And I want to say to you this morning, whatever you're going through here this morning, if it's tornado related or not, don't lose hope. Hold on to the hope that we profess. Don't let go of it. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Don't cash it in. Understand it may be dark for a while, but there is a new day coming. And it's amazing what a new day in Christ can bring. Don't give up. Don't give up the hope. Yes, there's a weary world, but in the weariness, there's a thrill of hope. And the weary world can rejoice. There is a new day coming. I'm telling you, it's a new day in which Christ can and will change everything. You know, the final truth that I get when I I look at the words of this particular carol are that a new day with Christ will bring the help that you're seeking. Listen to what Jeremiah said in verse 26. He said, it's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. See, salvation is what Jeremiah was holding out for. As a, as a Jew in that time, they knew that one day God had promised them this Messiah would come. He would rescue them. They had no idea when that would be, who it would be, how he would rescue them. In fact, in contrast, they had ideas that were way off. They, they figured that this person would come and slay all of their enemies, destroy their enemies. They had no idea that in actual fact, he was going to arrive in a manger, in a cave, as a baby. That was the salvation that Jeremiah was pinning his hopes upon. And that's the salvation that we sing about in this wonderful song, O Holy Night. Because on that night, the salvation for all those people living up till then, and all of us since, arrived in the world. In the form of Jesus, the Son of God. But I think we make the same mistake as well. We look for that help. We look for that salvation in all the wrong places also. And I was was thinking about this as I was praying and I was studying for this message. Why is it that we do that? And I think probably my eyes have been more open to that even over the last few weeks because I've met so many wonderful people in this community, both here in Connect and just in my own neighborhood. And I've gone and said, hey, listen, we'd love to help. How can we help? Oh, okay, I got it. (laughs) No, no, we're good, we're good. We don't need help. We, We got it here. And for those who have been affected by this, you'll probably agree with me this morning that the hardest thing you've gone through in the last couple of weeks hasn't been maybe the loss of property or the loss of um, you know, real estate, as hard as that's been, but it's been hard having all these people who want to come and help you. Because we're, we're tough, we're self-sufficient, we want to say, no, I got it, I got it. It's in our nature. And I challenged us as a church last week, don't be afraid to ask for help, but you know, that's in the physical realm, in the spiritual realm. We do the same thing. We say, God, I got it. I'll work hard. I'll try to be as good as I can. I'll try to do what I need to do. I'll I'll work at this. I I got it. I got it. And God's saying, listen, I'm here to provide the help you need. I've sent Jesus just for you because there is this gap right now in the relationship between me and you. And that gap is caused by the, 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 the Bible calls it sin, the wrong things we do. And we're like, I got it. I got it. I'll just try and be better. I'll try and work harder. And Justin just did such a fantastic job this morning of explaining the only solution there is. It's called grace. It's called us being forgiven for the wrong things that we did when we didn't deserve it. We were sat on our beds. We'd been naughty. We had. 
We deserved to be punished. And Jesus came into the world to say, I, I love it. It's my love for you that's driving me to bring you grace instead of judgment. But we have to bury our pride and say, God, I need your help. I can't do this. And you thought it was hard asking you to help carry boxes out of your house. This is even harder. It comes to that point and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help in my life. Some of you right now, you're, you're in the night. They're screaming. There's no epidural. The baby's coming. The cows are lowing, whatever that means. <laughs> but all of a sudden, in the middle of this weary world and the darkness of the night, you're reminded that because Jesus was born, you can have hope in the middle of the night. Because Jesus is now here, we can all have hope in the middle of the night because a new day with Christ brings exactly what you need. It may not be what you want, but it's always exactly what you need. And a new day with Christ, it gives you the hope to keep on going. And a new day with Christ can bring you the help that you are seeking. But I want you to think about this for a moment, and then we're going to close out by praying this morning. I want you to think about this, this last thought that I had as I was preparing this message. The guy I spoke of earlier, that, that French poet who wrote the words to this song, his friend who wrote the music to this song, neither of them followed Jesus in their life. Neither of them were Christ followers. Do you know what that tells me this morning? It tells me that you can know the story of Christmas without knowing the Savior of the world. You can know the story, but not know the Savior. And this Christmas, as we look at these carols in the weeks leading up to Christmas, I don't want you just to come and learn more about the story. I want you to learn all about who the story is about and the difference that he can make in your life, the difference he's made in my life and many others, and the difference he wants to make in your lives too. Can we bow our heads and pray? You know, I'm going to pray in just a second here, but on your seats when you came in, there were these connection cards. And some of you can't just listen to this. There's a response that needs to be made. Some of you have listened to this and thought, you know, I do know the story, but I don't know that I know Jesus. I don't know that I know the Savior. And I'm going to pray in just a second, and um, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray that you'll have the, uh, the courage this morning to take that connection card and just check on the back of the box and say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. There's a box on the back there that says, I want to know not just the story, I want to know the Savior. I'm committing my life to Jesus. And I'm asking you to be real brave this Christmas, and maybe you're in the midst of that dark night, and you're looking for hope. The hope is here. In the middle of this weary night, the hope is here. He was born in a stable, in a cave 2,000 years ago, and he is the hope that's causing this weary world to rejoice. So if you're here this morning, you've never done that, I really want to encourage you, check that box. We'll get in touch with you this week. We'll, we'll talk to you. We'll ex- explain you know, what this uh, decision means and, and help you walk through that. But Father, I just pray right now for everyone here. Lord, in the midst of this weary world, Lord, a hope is coming, Lord, and, and you are that hope. On that holy night, Lord, in the midst of that screaming, that, that, that teenage girl giving birth to that baby, no hospital, no epidural, in the midst of all of that chaos, the Savior of the world was being born. 
was a real holy night. And I pray that it won't just be a story that we, we learn about, but it'll be something that makes a difference in our lives today. So if there are any here this morning that know the story but don't know the Savior, I pray that they would check that box. They would make that decision and say, I want to know the Savior. Give us the courage to do that. Be with us this week. Bring us safely back next week, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.